fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. I'm ready. Okay. Did Chase put, uh, as the title, did he put Dr. Facilities Nuts? No. It just says, he didn't spell it right, but it just says Dr. Facilier. Oh, he went on it today. That's kind of disappointing. Are you going to hit record? Oh, I already did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Well, you can decide whether to keep that or not. Might as well. Might as well keep it. Uh, today, as promised, we're bringing you the story or the backstory of Dr. Facilier. Um, so if you haven't listened to the previous episode yes. on Princess and the Frog, we suggest you do that first. Uh, I don't think you it's you have to. It kind of can, can stand alone. but No, it's this isn't like a part one, part two thing. So right. it, we're not piggybacking off of that. We're really just taking a character. Mm-hmm. Because he has his own backstory yes. that needed its own episode, but we're also going to talk about a little voodoo, which we did in the last episode mm-hmm. have a little voodoo happen on our computer. Yes, we did, it's, and I'm sure it'll happen again. So I'll, we'll test that theory today. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so just a recap from, if you if you haven't seen Princess of Frog, if you haven't listened mm-hmm. to the last mm-hmm. episode, Dr. Facilier appears in the movie He's this smooth-talking witch doctor, and he plans to take over New Orleans with help from his, quote, friends on the other side. Mm -hmm. And these friends are a multitude of dark spirits known as the Leowa. Loa. Loa. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know the voodoo, which appear in the form of voodoo masks and shadows. Yep. It's pretty spooky. There's a whole song. It's great. Something about being on the other side. (laughs) This is also a, uh, a show tunes podcast. Mm-hmm. Besides his voodoo powers, he is also able to cast spells and tell fortunes. But you have to be careful what you wish for because Dr. Facilier is the master of deception and will actually use your deepest desires against you. So that's kind of how he first appears in the movie. He'll do it. That's how Naveen ended up as a frog. Yes. His character was inspired by two divine figures in the voodoo religion. Baron Samedi and Papa Legba. Papa Legba. They are considered to be known as the. What, how did I say this? Loa. Loa. They are. You're trying to put like an accent. I know. I really. It's I think, just I know, what it I is. I think I'm trying to go with like a Loaya. Cajun <laughs> accent. Yeah. I don't know. Say it again. Loa. Loa. It okay. just. It is what L O A. Okay. Low. Okay. Uh. Yeah. Okay. I got it. So these two people are considered to be what is known as the Loa or invisible supernatural beings that serve as mediators between humans and the Supreme Creator. So in order to understand these two characters fully, we need to kind of explain so that you understand a little bit more of the religion that they come from. 
old voodoo little voodoo religion so due to pop culture and media voodoo has gained probably an unfair sinister reputation um, contrary to popular belief voodoo has never been a form of witchcraft or demonic worship which that's that's where my mind goes straight to Uh when you hear voodoo right it goes to what what did we say last time those little dolls the voodoo dolls yeah Mm mm-hmm so and when I think of New Orleans, I think of voodoo. Yes, and I, I've I've been to New Orleans. I do know there is a lot of like fortune telling. You have a lot mm-hmm. of those, you know, a lot of people who you know on the streets will set up their little card table and tell your right. fortunes. I also think of Nick Jonas's song Voodoo. Sing it for us. Okay, look, I don't really know the words. I just okay. know that it's a good vibe. It's okay. like with your voodoo. No, that turned into Wiggle Wiggle by Jason Derulo. Close enough. Similar. Same thing. So voodoo is a folk religion originating from Haiti that came into being when Africans were captured and forced into slavery, which caused their cultures and religions and beliefs to collide with Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that it actually shares a lot of common practices with Christianity. Yep. So including things like prayers, like the Lord's Prayer, Hail Mary's. Uh, rituals like baptisms, uh, making the sign of the cross, you know, from your forehead and your shoulders, mm-hmm. the using candles, crosses, images of saints. So not not the people, pop culture image people that don't is put out there. Think of it as a religion, and it is. No. It is an official religion in Haiti. Yeah, I don't know. But about then the here, States, it, but. I was about to say here it gets kind of mm-hmm. manipulated. So the practitioners of voodoo believe in one supreme God, whom they call. Bondi. Um, so, however, Bondi's existence is beyond human comprehension, and because of that, he does not intervene directly in human affairs. This is where the Loa come in. So they are primarily spirits of voodoo, and each one is responsible for a particular aspect of life. Again, not all uncommon from, like, Catholicism. Right. They have the saints that are patron saints mm-hmm. of certain things also just the uh bondi not directly having a relationship with humans it's not the exact same as christianity but you know the in christianity god sent jesus mm-hmm. to as a to intervene mm-hmm. on on humans behalf so similar but then, and then he had the relationship yeah so these uh loa also possess dynamic and changing personalities, which depend on the duties they perform. Mm-hmm. So they act as intermediaries between humans and Bondi. So. I see. It's kind. Of, it also, um, the I've, I'm not Catholic, and I've never done a confession, but you know, the little confession booths. I don't mm-hmm. even know if that's what you call them, where mm-hmm. they have to speak to the priest because they yeah. can't speak directly to God. And I don't. I don't know if that's exactly right, but I was about to say this, this is probably going to get too theological, uh-huh. but. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, they're all the same person. Uh-huh. We Christians can pray directly to Jesus, who is also God. Mm-hmm. Catholicism believes, or at least used to, again, don't quote us on this because neither of us are Catholic, you have to pray, go through a saint mm-hmm. to get to God. I, I thought I thought you just had to go to talk to the priest, and the priest right. talked to God. Right, so you have to go through somebody else, basically. Yeah. Christianity, you can pray straight to God, and he yeah. hears you. So, we need to do some research on our Catholicism. I know. I, I have a colleague, uh, Jay Wise, who's probably going to... Murder us? No, he's just probably going to give me a talking to and say uh-huh. I need to sit in on his class. Right. Anyway, back to the Loa. 
they can be compared to angels, but they are different in the sense that each possess their own unique personalities, like we were saying. Mm -hmm. So therefore, to navigate through daily life, voodooists must have personal relationships with the Loa to have their needs met. Mm -hmm. So these relationships can be formed by making offerings at their personal altars, um, which were created to specific Loa, and by participating in elaborate ceremonies of dance, music, spirit possession, etc. They can form a, a, a bond. Similar yes. to praying to s- certain saints. Yeah, like like if you, you know, prayed to the patron saint of travel if you're about to go mm-hmm. on a trip or you pray to the patron saint of lost items if you lost mm-hmm. your keys. That. So the Loa were divided into three main families, the Rada, the Petro, and the Gide. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. <laughs> The uh, Rada are generally benevolent and creative, and they're associate, associated with the color white. The Petro are <laughs> the Nina Pinta's <laughs> The Petro are associated with the color red and tend to be a little bit more darker and more aggressive spirits. Why does anybody want to hang out with them? I don't know, but the color symbolism makes mm-hmm. sense here. And then the what Gide Gede Gede are associated with the dead and also with carnality. So it's like. They, they're associated with sex and uh, passion. Pleasure. And, yeah. yeah. Um, they transport dead souls. They behave irreverently. They make obscene jokes. They perform dances that mimic sexual intercourse. And they are associated with the color black. I feel so like white, the would be the fun ones to hang out with. Yeah. The, they would know how to turn up. The red just seemed a little scary. Mm-hmm. I'd probably be hanging out with the, with the Rada. I feel like... Um, Ted Bundy would be hanging out with the red, the red ones. Oh, Team for red. sure, for sure. Maybe hanging out all with the people. All black. the people we talk about are mm-hmm. probably hanging out with the red right. on this episode. So, like we said earlier, Doctor Facilier is associated with two of Voodoo's most notorious Lois, uh, Baron Samedi and, and Doctor Legba. Legba. So Baron Samedi first. Prayed to Doctor Legba on leg day at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good dad joke mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. So uh, Baron Semedi, his name means Saturday in French. He is the head of the Gidi Gede. Gede family of the Loa. Um, clearly, I'm not Cajun mm-hmm. or Haitian okay. or Voodoo. It's okay. I'll be here to help your pronunciation. Thank you. He is typically described as wearing a black tailcoat and a top hat. A skull is typically painted over his face. So essentially, Doctor Facilier. Right, he which exactly I was about to say, like Disney. This took should sound familiar. Likeness. Yeah, yeah. Um, Samede, his he rules the underworld and guides spirits into the afterlife. Um, not only that, but he also has the power to decide on who should live and who should die. Yeah, he's a pretty powerful guy. So I guess he's kind of like the equivalent of Hades mm-hmm. in Greek mythology, except he's not a god; he's just a spirit, a loa. A, a loa. Anyone wishing to contact the dead must obviously invoke the help of Samedi, who then decides if the dead should be allowed to contact the living or not. He's the ultimate medium. Mm -hmm. In return, he would expect gifts for his deeds, which can vary according to his mood, which, same. Mm -hmm. Mostly, he is content with the gifts of black coffee, cigars, spicy rum. Mm -hmm. I know some people like that. I was about to say, also sounds just very, like, human form. Yeah. Um, he likes his rum so spicy that he actually makes his own, which is steeped in 21 hot peppers. Ooh, doggy. Actually, almost for a snack break, I almost got us something spicy, like a, a pepper snack. Ooh. So, I wouldn't have eaten it. So, glad I didn't get it then. Don't like spicy. 
So uh, for most LOAs, or most LOAs accept alcohol as a gift, which, again, just sounds very human. Again, they yeah. turn up down in New Orleans. <laughs> this is why you can see a lot of bottles hanging from the ceilings of Mama Odie's home in Princess and the Frog. I love attention to detail. Yeah, well, and just like, again, I think we've talked about this before. If you don't know those details, you just think, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't even notice it. Or if you do, you're like, oh, that's that's cool. But you right. don't know there's actually like a reason for it. I also need you to know that, you know, she has a pet snake in the movie. I need mm-hmm. you to keep in mind that for the second part. Okay. Okay. You heard it. You heard her. Keep in mind the snake. Mm-hmm. The fastest way to get in touch with Baron Samedi would be to die uh, because he's the first person that you meet in the afterlife. Okay. But if, if that's not what you're looking for, right? Like if you're not looking to die to meet him, yeah. you can also contact him at a crossroad. So crossroads typically have a supernatural association because they're that, you know, in between zone. You're in between two mm-hmm. things. You know, you might be in between life and death. And I, I took the road less travel by, and that has made all the difference. Thank you, Robert. Two roads. Middle. Robert yeah. Frost. Two You're roads diversion, yellow wood. I won't quote the whole thing for you, even mm-hmm. though I can, which is embarrassing. So Dr. Facilier typically meets characters at a crossroad, or he brings the crossroad to them by presenting them with a difficult choice that they would that could alter their life forever. Mm-hmm. So you've got a literal crossroads and kind of a metaphorical crossroads. As well as being master of the dead, Baron Samedi is also giver of life, so he can cure any mortal of any disease or wound if he thinks that person is worthwhile. Right. He's not just going about granting life willy-nilly. No. You got to be somebody. Yeah, he makes that choice for you. His powers are especially impressive when it comes to voodoo curses and black magic. Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. if somebody has been afflicted by a hex, which brings them to the verge of death, they will not die if he refuses to dig their grave. Right. So Again, he sounds like a god, even though he's right. technically not a god. Right. He sounds like a god, but he's also pleased by just like getting some classy co- rum. Coffee, coffee cig- cigarettes and rum. Mm-hmm. One thing that separates him from the other Loa is that he is married. His wife's name is Maman Brig- Brigitte. Brigitte. So it's a little French for you. She is from, well, I was about to say it sounds French, but she's from <laughs> Ireland. Uh-huh. And is the only white Loa. Mm, the only Caucasian Loa. Mm-hmm. Baron Samedi has been depicted in many TV shows and movies, including Supernatural, Grimm, The Walking Dead, and a Bond film called Live and Let Die. It's a lot. So maybe, you, maybe, you've seen, maybe you've seen those and didn't realize that that's who it was. Even the former president of Haiti... Francois Duvalier, mm-hmm. he believed that he was the reincarnation of Baron Semeny. Okay. Oh, okay. I've seen our, uh, our uh, presidents say weirder stuff. Right. In 1959, he collapsed into a coma, which lasted nine hours before he regained consciousness. And then after this, he began to behave like Baron Semeny. He would dress in all black and was trying to replicate the look of the Baron and would even try to copy the way he is believed to have spoken. I'm scared that I'm going to do that weird. if I ever get dementia. I'm going to like just wake up <laughs> who, and who, I'm going to be who like... Who would you turn into Alice in Wonderland? Uh, probably, um, what's not, her name? Not uh, Alice no, no. Um, God, hold on. What is her name? Oh, Liza Minnelli. <laughs> that is not who I thought you were going to say. But I like it. Yeah. I like it. 
Dr. Facilia's other inspiration, we told you Papa Legba is one of the best and most well-known spirits in voodoo. Mm-hmm. He's typically depicted as an older man, sometimes wearing a straw hat or old tattered clothing, sometimes walking with a cane, and oftentimes accompanied by dogs. Yeah, I like that little tidbit. Yeah. He essentially looks like a hobo. Right. He's said to walk with a limp because his feet are two d- in two different worlds, um, the land of the living and the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. And then the cane that he leans on is not just an ordinary cane. It's actually the gateway between the human world and the heavens. That part about him being in two different worlds, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I've heard dogs that have like one blue eye or animals that have one blue eye and one brown eye. They have one eye in the heavens. That means they have one eye in the heavens and one eye here on earth. Aww. And I love that. I think that's cool. Get you a dog like that and name it, if you have a dog like that and name it Loa, boom. I kind of just got chills actually. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Or name it Legba. That's not as cool. <laughs> Come here, Legba. That's not as cool. Come well, on, I'm going to go with Loa. Samity. I'm going to go with Loa. Just like other Loa, Papa Legba is an intermediary. So in order to contact the dead, you must first go through him. Mm-hmm. And although he commands respect, he is a benevolent fatherly type figure and it does not take much to appease him. So he's, he's one of those like Rada. Yes. The white. More of the benevolent kind yeah. ones. He's also known to be a trickster of sorts and he likes riddles, but he's not as like like the the, the kinder tricks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the playful riddles rather than the mm-hmm. vicious things. Why is a raven like a writing desk? Yeah. That's more him. That's, That's more him. his That's style. That's more his style. Like Baron, Papa Legba is also associated with Crossroads. He is said to be a remover of obstacles and can be consulted to help find new opportunities in life since he has the ability to open doors and create new roads. Gotcha. He also enjoys rum. Mm-hmm. Uh, just dark rum, not, not, the, spicy, not kind. the spicy kind. Also enjoys cigars, pipe tobacco, but he will also accept candy. I was going to say, if somebody wanted to come to my house, I'd be, I wouldn't have much for him, but Papa Legba, I could hook you up. Dogs and candy? He, I, We could hook him up with our snack break. Stay tuned. Oh, true. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Papa Legba can also be found in movies and TV series, most notably in season three of American Horror Story. The Coven season. Mm-hmm. Uh, although his character is portrayed as Baron Samedi, the producers of the show wanted to stick with the name Papa Legba because it is less well known. Right. So in so the they show, they kind of morphed the two. In the show, he looks exactly like Baron uh, Samedi, but, but they call, they call him, him Legba. Legba. Um, so they kind of just morph those two into one. Mm-hmm. One sensational aspect of voodoo is that it can be represented frequently in the media with the existence of voodoo dolls. So this That's is what we were talking about. This is what we were talking about earlier. This is where our mind goes mm-hmm. straight to that. One of the oldest examples of these human-type figurines that were made specifically to harm or affect another individual date back to Assyrian rituals from the first millennium BCE. Long before Way voodoo. before voodoo. Mm-hmm. In Egypt, these dolls were made, and then a binding curse was performed, and sometimes accompanied by poking pins in them. Which is where the whole poking pins, torturing people. And it would people. hurt the person. Yeah. The voodoo practitioners do make dolls, but they're not used for revenge. Mm -hmm. Ironically, instead, they are meant to heal. Yep. So when you would hang them from the trees in cemeteries, they are intended to open and maintain the lines of communication between the recently departed. Mm -hmm. Uh, When tacked to the trees upside down, which might seem sinister at first, they are intended to make the creator stop caring for someone who is bad to them. Right. So... 
items that voodooists voodooists voodoo people yeah uh items that they use in rituals to communicate with the loa are called pwen pwen p-w-e-n in voodoo a pwen is an item filled with a particular component that appeal to a particular loa so like legba could have a doll filled with candy right mm-hmm. i could have a doll filled with golden retrievers perfect they are meant to attract the loa and gain its influence for a person or a place however when come in a variety of forms and one of those forms happens to be dolls yeah but they're not dolls you stick with needles to hurt people right they're dolls you fill with things that that person likes to attract that person Mm -hmm. so it's meant for attraction not for revenge yeah Yeah. spiritual possession also does play a a big part in voodoo during religious rites believers would sometimes enter trance-like states in which the devotee may eat and drink they might perform stylized dances, give supernaturally inspired advice to people, or even perform medical cures or special physical feats. So these acts exhibit the incarnate presence of the Loa within the entranced devotee. Again, similar to Christianity, some types of Christianity, speaking in tongues, you're, mm-hmm. you're inhabited mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit, and you can speak this divine language similar. Right. So... So then the question becomes, how did voodoo get such a bad rep? Like, when did it go from this just like religion? It sounds like something I'd be interested in for a second. Right. But when did it go from that to the voodoo dolls, Mm -hmm. basically? Voodoo was first practiced by slaves of African descent whose culture was both feared and ridiculed. The slaves were not considered fully human, so their religion was dismissed as, quote, superstition. Mm Mm-hmm. Because their gods were misunderstood, they were considered evil. So We fear what we don't know and don't right. understand. Right. So it started off just big misunderstanding and chalk, chalked up as evil. One of the only successful slave revolutions in modern history occurred in Haiti in the late t- 1700s. The Haitian Revolution provoked fear in other European and American colonies that were reliant on vast numbers of slaves as plantation labor. They were like, oh shoot, we about to have to get out there and work ourselves right the the imagery and vocabulary of the slaves religion aka voodoo became threatening and ingrained in white culture as something horrifying and terrifying again we fear what we don't know Mm -hmm. so then it was associated with bloodshed and violence that occurred during the revolution right so eventually over time american culture became fascinated by this mysterious tradition and began to depict it in movies and books and as sensationalized horror Mm -hmm. so quote voodoo practices were dreamed up by hollywood yep they dream up a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. over there and voodoo is one of the ones that they sensationalized right most of the disturbing images that are fixed in our minds are, are something we probably saw in a movie right which hollywood created a mythology that just everyone saw and somehow has taken as truth that but that's is, not what it is that's not uncommon for hollywood nope it's not mm-hmm. i think it's you know sex sells and so does violence sometimes mm-hmm. and so they kind of took this misunderstood religion and turned it into a money maker there you go well that was fascinating hannah thank you that now, now you know. That was Dr. Priscilla next time you, and next Voodoo. Time, I was about to say, next time you see a uh, Voodoo doll, you can be like, mm-hmm. Get out of here. Not scared. Not even a little bit Not scared. Not even a little bit. That thing better be filled with candy. You know what you're going to be scared of? 
Oh, part two. Coming up next. First, we're going to have a little bitty snack. A little snack break. Mm, Let's do it. Let's do it. Way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, you get hotter than a hoochie-coochie. That's our new snack break jingle. So we are bringing you, how do you think you say this name? Hairbo. That's what I've always called it. Hairbo? Yeah, that's not what it's called. But but when I, no, I don't look at the whole word when I read. Haribo? Yeah, hairbo. Okay. So we brought you some hairbo hairbo frogs. They make the classic um, gummy bears. But we, for princess, because this is a princess and the frog story. Yeah. We're trying gummy frogs. We got regular frogs, and we got mini, mini rainbow frogs. Mini rainbow frogs, which I was at the grocery store looking for something else. What was I looking for? Oh, oh ca- Cajun, Cajun pop popcorn. They didn't have any. And then I was, like, trying to go with the Cajun theme, and we were about to make some, like, red beans and rice, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to That's That's a little that involved. Yeah. It's a snack break, not a dinner break. We also already ate Chipotle, so. Right, so... Uh, so Lacey said, get some gummy frogs. And I did not think these things existed. She said, is that real? And I said, maybe she I made that up. And then she manifested found it. it because we have two different types of gummy frogs for you mm-hmm. today. Now, what flavor did you th- do you think these would be? Did green you already- apple. Okay, that's a good guess because they are green. I'm going to give you one. Okay. And I want you to tell me if it's green apple or not. I'm not going to be able to. I don't, they're I'm not going to lie. I don't normally like these things. They, they feel like they, they feel got like, a little dry skin. They literally feel like a frog. Yep. Oh, they do. They kind of they kind of yeah. feel like a frog. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Green apple. It mm-hmm. tastes like peachios. Yeah, they. It's not. Um, it's not green apple. They're peach flavored. Are they? Yeah. That per- perfectly peach flavor. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. It but they're not. delicious. Mm-hmm. Now, in the mini pack, there are multi colors. You so, want to guess what those colors are? Yellow. Are they different? Mm-hmm. Oh. This also won't make sense to you, but go ahead. What color is yellow? Pineapple? No. Apple. No. no. Pineapple. Mm-mm. I don't know. Those are good. Yellow is lemon. Oh. Did you get an orange one? Mm-hmm. What's that? Orange. Mm-hmm. What about a pink one? They're all tasting the same. Strawberry. Yep. No, the the red one is raspberry, and the mm-hmm. green one, again, perfect opportunity to go green apple uh-huh. or stick with the original. Blueberry. Keep it, keep it peach. No, it's strawberry. Oh. <laughs> the green ones are strawberry. Mm. I'm good for now. I might give me a big one before we start part two, but those are delicious. Those are pretty I good. like them. Get you some hair bow today. I normally don't like those things, but I do like the peach. Mm-hmm. They taste like peach, peachios. Mm-hmm. I do like peachos. Or peachios. Mm. I'm going to eat me a couple another and we'll get on to part two. They still feel like frogs. Mm-hmm. Hotel. We're having to re-record this first part because I told Hannah I was reading. Like, my mouth was... My mind was communicating with my mouth, I guess, but I was not thinking about what I was reading. She was reading. thinking about was, what flavor she would do for the snack break. For the gummy, for the, gummies. the gummy bears. So I, my mouth was reading the reading real slow. And I she was, was thinking about yeah. why the green gummies are not green apple flavored. I do that. My mind sometimes doesn't match my mouth. They should be f- spicy rum flavored. 
they could. Some people would like that. Well, if we come out with some hair bow spicy uh, spicy rum frogs, yeah, you doesn't, that sound, doesn't that sound mm-hmm. appetizing? Yeah. Um, today, I'm going to tell you a story. A lot of people know this story or know about this person, uh, and so I I knew about it, and I thought this would be perfect for this episode because. I am telling you about Marie Delphine Lollery. Have you ever heard of her? I've heard the name. She, and I might recognize the story once we get into She it. is also depicted in American Horror Story in the same season. Ah. So um, she is known, she is infamous for being one of New Orleans' most prolific serial killers for torturing and killing an untold amount of enslaved people in the 1830s. Yikes. Yeah. If we have other, there's like the New Orleans Axe Killer. There's lots of prolific killers in New Orleans, but she probably the most famous. And that's her right there, that picture on the Mm -hmm. left. I'll post a picture. Why were all people back then have the longest foreheads? I don't know. Or did they just draw them like that because they thought that that was... I don't know. I have, that was I, it. I was about to say, I have, I feel like I've heard or read somewhere that like a high forehead was a, a beauty standard. A, f- a forefinger? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so you may be, like I said, familiar with her from American Horror Story where she is played by Kathy Bates, but I wanted to know how a wealthy New Orleans socialite turns into such a monster because she is one of the worst. And also, I wanted to see if it had anything to do with voodoo. So we're, I'm going to bring you back to that at the end. But to start off, we'll go to the beginning. She was born Marie Delphine McCarty in New Orleans in March of 1787. She was one of five children and from a wealthy family of Irish immigrants who moved to America in the 1730s. Maybe they knew about Mama Brigitte. That's what I was just thinking mm-hmm. about, that Ir- Ireland connection. Her family was prominent within the community. Her uncle, for example, was the governor of the Spanish-American providences in Louisiana and Florida, and her cousin was the mayor of New Orleans. So big, big old name down there in New Orleans. She was four years old when the Haiti Revolution that we discussed in part one occurred, and this left, like Hannah said, American slave owners very afraid of their own slaves. And it's also part of the reason that voodoo gained a negative reputation, as most of the Haitian slaves were practitioners of the religion. Delphine's own uncle, in fact, had been killed by one of his slaves in 1771. And unfortunately, all of this led to slave owners just abusing their slaves even more harshly in an attempt to scare them from revolting. So they revolted in Haiti and they didn't want them to revolt. Yeah, here. And some people think that her later crimes were inspired by her uncle being killed by a slave. Hmm. So on June 11th, 1800, at the age of 14, Delphine married Don Ramon de Lopez y Angulo. What a name. He was a high-ranking Spanish officer. So again, not only is she from a wealthy family, but she's also marrying into one. And by 1804, Don Ramon had risen to the position of Consul General of Spain in Louisiana. Also, she was 14 when she got married. Right. So I would be a little angry, too. Uh, yeah. And messed up in the head. Yeah. For his new position, Don Ramon was called to appear in Spanish court, and he and Delphine began their travel to Madrid. At this time, Delphine had become pregnant with a baby girl, and unfortunately, en route uh, to Madrid, Don Ramon suddenly died in Havana. Ooh. A few days after his death, Delvine gave birth to his daughter, whose name was, she got a, she got a, whew, a name too, Marie Borgia Borgia Delphine Lopez y Angulo de la Candelaria. 
so they couldn't say all that. So they just, her nickname was Borquita, which sounds oh. like something off. I'm sorry. It sounds like something off the menu at Taco Bell. A gordita. Oh. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Little gordita. Uh, <laughs> so the widow Delphine and her child returned to New Orleans. Four years after Don Ramon's death, Delphine was remarried to a French man named Jean Blanc. And Blanc was a banker, lawyer, and legisl—excuse me, legislator and was almost as affluent in the community as Delphine's family had been. And so not one. Yeah, she like likes some wealthy. F- yeah, she likes a celebrity family mm-hmm. marriage. The, the third one now. Yeah. That's the second one. But her family was still very like oh, oh, third famous. Family, yeah. She's just making the rounds between mm-hmm. all the like big wigs of yeah. New Orleans. Together they had four children, three daughters and one son. But again, she would be left widowed when Blanc died in 1816. On June 25th, 1825, Delphine married her third husband, who was a physician, uh, again, Leonard, again. Leonard Louis Nicholas Lalaurie. So that was her final husband. And he was much younger than she was. I didn't see how, how the age gap exactly, but it, everything I read said he was much younger. At this point, you may be thinking that Delphine is one, what one might call a little gold digger. Uh, Just going on her third, like, very wealthy family. Yeah, But homegirl, she had money of her own. Because, again, she came from Mm -hmm. a rich family. She bought a three-story mansion at 1140 Royal Street in the French Quarter. And she managed this home in her own name with no help from her husband. To that I say, get it, girl. (laughs) But that's the only thing we get. Yeah, the rest of it, you can go die. Right. Like many wealthy homes at the time, the home was built with slave quarters to house Delphine's slaves. And in public, she was known for being shockingly, I'm going to put in air quote, huge air quotes here, good to her slaves. And she even publicly freed two of them in 1819 and 1832, which seems random. I don't know what happened there. but So, however, rumors soon began to spread that this politeness and kindness was all an act and that much more sinister things were occurring in the La Lurie home. In 1838, writer Harriet Martineau wrote that Delphine's slaves were, quote, singularly haggard and wretched. And then she would go on to recount several horrific stories of the slaves' abuse. So here we go. There was once a 12-year-old slave named Leah, and she was combing Delphine's hair when she hit a snag and accidentally pulled on Delphine's uh, scalp. Delphine supposedly went into a rage and grabbed her whip and began to chase the little girl to the top of the mansion where the little girl fell from the roof. And it isn't clear if she was pushed or fell or jumped to avoid punishment, but her fall was witnessed by a neighbor. And I was going to say, it doesn't really matter, right? right. I mean, like, all, all reasons mm-hmm. fall back on Lolling. I guess one would be kind of more of like a secondhand yeah. murder, whereas one, if you pushed her, it's more direct, but... Uh, Lee's body was then buried on the grounds, and all of this reminds me of Elizabeth Bowtry, a girl mm-hmm. combing her hair, mm-hmm. and she hit her in the blood. Which, if got- you've ever, if you've ever had your hair brushed, mm-hmm. that happens all the time. That's right, an innocent mistake. Yeah. Unlike most southern states, New Orleans did have laws in place to quote a huge air quote once again protect slaves from cruel punishment. And this incident with the 12-year-old girl did call for an investigation by the local authorities, and she, Delphine, was forced to forfeit nine of her slaves, which were given to her relatives, but then they eventually just ended back at the Lollary home anyway. 
At another point, a lawyer was called to investigate the home but did not report any signs of abuse or mistreatment. But then, on April 10th, 1834, there was a fire that broke out at the Lollery Mansion. And when the fire brigade got to the scene, they found the cook, who was a 70-year-old woman, chained to the kitchen stove. And the woman admitted that she had indeed set the fire herself in an attempt to complete suicide and avoid further abuse by Madame Delaphine. Which, if you are willing to burn alive to get out of, then the punishment has to be 10 million times worse. It's intense. She's... Uh, specifically feared being taken to the, quote, upper room because once slaves were taken there, she said that they never came back. So this is up on the, there's something going on up on the third floor. So the authorities go to this upper room on the third story to find a locked door and Delphine was refusing to give them the key. So they were forced to then break the door down where they found seven or so slaves in unmentionable conditions. The New Orleans Bee reported on the sighting on April 11th, 1834, stating, quote, Seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck, with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to another. Yikes. It gets even worse, and if you are triggered by really grotesque things, uh, we'll catch you on the flippity forward. Yeah. The victims were extremely emaciated, and they looked like they had not been given food in ages. One woman was found wrapped in her own intestines, and she's not all of them were alive, so some of them had passed, and their bodies were just rotting next to the ones that were still alive. Another's mouth had been filled with feces and then sewn shut. Some had metal collars with spikes on the inside of them to prevent them from moving their necks in any way. Others had their bones broken to fit into tiny cages. Some had holes drilled into their heads where wooden spoons had been placed to, quote, stir their brains. And some of them had their eyes gouged out, and many of them had open festering sores all over their bodies. Yikes. So the, this story uh, was further described in a book called Journey into Darkness, Ghosts and Vampires of New Orleans by Kalia Catherine Smith. And she is the operator of New Orleans ghost tour business. So take this as you will. She is a a business owner. Um, But Smith's, her book, added several more explicit details to the discoveries allegedly made by rescuers during the 1834 fire, including, quote, a victim who obviously had her arms amputated and her skin peeled off in a circular pattern, making her look like a human caterpillar. And another who had her limbs broken and reset, quote, at odd angles, so she resembled a human crab. This is some of the worst. I, I, yeah. I, the only thing worse that I, I can think about, the only thing worse I can imagine is like human caterpillar or human centipede, that movie. Yeah. It is said that there were many times that Delphine's own daughters attempted to free the slaves, but anytime they attempted to help them in any way, her own daughters were beaten. And so this is why many people of the time reported that her children were quiet. Uh, they they were children of abuse. So, a bystander at the scene um, when the fire happened, his name was Jean Francois Connage. He reported that he questioned Delphine's husband about the slaves uh, and this whole incident. To which her husband responded, "Some people had better stay at home rather than come to others' houses to dictate laws and meddle with other people's business." Wow. Excuse me, sir. This is like the... That's a long-winded way of saying 
Mind your own business. Right. Yep. News of this horrific event spread quickly, and many in the community were outraged. They were so outraged, in fact, that a mob was formed at the mansion, and they destroyed everything in their path. They destroyed all of Delphine's possessions. And a newspaper wrote that there were, quote, scarcely anything remaining except the walls. And during this raid, they also discovered numerous graves on the property. I think that people think that she killed uh, up until, like, the hundreds. That reminds me of the the grave that they found at that Florida school Mm -hmm. that we covered. Yeah. Where they just, like, stumbled upon all these graves and they realized this is a lot bigger than we realized. It is then said that the surviving slaves were taken to the jail where they could be viewed by the public. The New Orleans Bee reported that by April 12th, up to 4,000 people had attended to view the tortured slaves to, quote, convince themselves of their sufferings, which it sounds like at first you're like, oh, good. We got some good citizens in there that actually care about human rights and stuff. And then it's like, no, no. They, they just, just wanted, wanted to, to be in on the... Yeah. yeah. They just wanted to be entertained by the mm-hmm. sadness of others. Unfortunately, before the mob could capture her, Delphine was able to flee the scene, and it is reported that she fled to Mobile, Alabama. Mobile is kind of like a little New Orleans, you know, like they oh, have true, the Mardi true. Gras and everything. But then she eventually uh, was able to make it to France, where she lived the rest of her life. And her daughter claimed to have received letters from her, but there was never any proof of this. In 1888, this one man, I guess he's important, George Washington Cable, he recounted a popular but unsubstantiated story that LaLaurie had died in France in a boar hunting accident, which to that I say, I hope I hope she got gored in in her intestines, got wrapped around her throat, and then... All the things. One one can imagine. In the late 1930s, an old cracked copper plate was found in New Orleans St. Louis, Louis Cemetery bearing the name LaLaurie Madame Delphine McCarty, which was LaLaurie's maiden name. And the inscription on the plaque in French claims that Madame LaLaurie died in Paris on December 7th, 1842. However, there's still a mystery here because other records located in Paris claim that she died in 1849, and to that I say I don't care when she died. I'm just glad she's dead. Yeah. The original home burned down in the whole fire mob situation, but it was rebuilt in 1838 by Pierre Trattstor, and it has that's what it looks like today is what he built. Over the following decades, it was used for many things. It was used as a public high school. Well, let me tell you where I don't want to go to high school. Yeah, you're not going to want to go even further when I tell uh-uh. you in a second. A conservatory of music, an apartment building, a refuge for young delinquents, a bar, a furniture store, and a luxury apartment building. That's a lot of things. I don't want to live there. Right. I might buy furniture from there. Mm-hmm. No. A refuge from young delinquents just sounds not like a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. In a, uh, this is a fun fact. In April of 2007, actor Nicolas Cage bought the house for a sum of three point thirty. Ooh, three. So much money, I get my mouth can't even say it. <laughs> three point forty five million, and he was stated, "quote I bought it in 2007, figuring it would be a good place in which to write the great American horror novel. I didn't get too far with this novel." And know. to that, I say that reminds me of last week's episode when we were talking about the lady turned Zach and Addie's apartment into a tourist attraction. It's uh-huh. like you're using uh-huh. the misfortune of others. You're right. trying to capitalize on that, and that seems. I'm also. I'm almost kind of glad you didn't succeed at that because mm-hmm. I. I did not know he was a writer. Me either. Well, there you go. 
On November 13, 2009, the property was then valued at $3.5 million. It, it was listed for auction as a result of foreclosure and purchased by Regions Financial Corporation for $2.3 million. So, in, I guess Nicholas Cage, he, he, didn't, he, he didn't, got out of there quick. Yeah. Despite not being the original structure, the house is now known as one of the haunted places, most haunted places in New Orleans, because everything's, well, everything's haunted in right. New Orleans. During its brief time as an all-girls school, mm -mm. Mm -hmm, reports of paranormal physical assaults came to light. Ah. The young girls would approach their teachers with scratches and bruises on their forearms, and when the teacher would ask them, who did this to you, the girls would usually reply, that woman. Lollery. Mm-hmm. Other people have reported hearing tortured shrieks and moans coming from within. Some have smelled burning flesh or heard dragging the sound of dragging chains. Others say they've seen actual ghosts, including a large black man in chains, and they've also seen a white woman with glaring eyes. Yeah, I'm not doing any learning in that, in no. that environment. Nope. None. Now, tying all of this together... Some say that the reason that Madame de Lafine, Lalaurie, her name is such a mouthful, mm -hmm. she, the reason that she was driven to insanity was because of her husband, who was suspected to be experimenting with Haitian voodoo. It is said that he would make potions, quote-unquote potions, to give to the slaves to make them more docile. And as I just gave you that whole description of how they found all of those people, that just mm -hmm. sounds like some black magic mm -hmm. type of stuff mm -hmm. that is goes beyond some any understanding. Weird experimenting. Also interesting to note is that the voodoo queen herself, Marie Laveau, would have lived in New Orleans at the time, and Delphine and Lalaurie, they could have easily crossed paths, and she most certainly would have known about her. Right, I imagine they both were fairly like well-known names, mm -hmm. so they would have possibly run in the same circles. Right. Um, Marie Laveau is also depicted in American Horror Season 3. So, While the white world dismissed her as an evil occultist who practiced black magic and held drunken orgies, New Orleans' black community knew Marie Laveau as a healer and herbalist who preserved African belief systems. And for decades, Marie Laveau would hold spiritual ceremonies of healing and faith in New Orleans' Congo Square every Sunday, and this is one of the only times that the oppressed uh, black people could actually congregate in public. Other days, that was against the law. So she also used her role, I, lo I love this fact, she used her role as a hairdresser to learn the secret of the city's white elite, which she then used to her advantage. So she would essentially use their secrets to extort money out of them, to which I say, get a girl. Right. Laveau was said to have had... Oh, here, here it is. Here it is, The Hannah. snake. The snake thing's coming Laveau back. Laveau was said to have had a large python snake that she wore wrapped around her shoulders, and his name was Grand Zombie. You, you better believe I if I ever have a snake, that's what I'm naming him. Yeah. I love the Disney. Yeah. Added that. She is now said to haunt the city of New Orleans, of course. Uh, her ghost can be seen dancing in the cemeteries, flying through the air, and walking down the streets of the French Quarter. She's also said to slap those in the face who are unfamiliar with her. So just if you're ever a, walking down the streets of New Orleans and you friendly little slap, if you don't, if you see a sign that says Marie Laveau, don't say, well, who's that? You will get smacked straight in the face, straight in the face. Marie Catherine Laveau died on June 15th, 1881. She was 79 years old, to which I say back then, that's, that's good. That is old and that her voodoo, all that voodoo must've must, been working. Must've been something good for her. Uh-huh. But anyway, that is the horrible story of uh, 
what's her face who even cares what her name is who cares when she died she's horrible we're glad she's gone Love yeah she's bad mm-hmm. now i mean you know frog uh i want to go watch american horror story season three and think about all of that pretty, while we watch it that's pretty scary for mm-hmm. me that that's a pretty scary show mm-hmm. i don't know if i can do it you can but do it i'll hold your hand would you go visit her house in new orleans yeah i'd go anywhere and anywhere that's haunted i wouldn't stay overnight but so you you would visit like a museum but you wouldn't stay in like more a haunted like, hotel type thing right but more in like reverence of the people that died there kind of like i've i've been to amsterdam to see Anne frank's house mm-hmm. and it was like the it was like like the, paying the, homage to yeah. the people who died there rather than right. like glorifying the people i, who would, did I tell you what i would not do remember when justin bieber went to Anne frank's house and he wrote in a little book that all the guests write in um, she, something like she seems like a cool girl. I think she would have been a believer. Ew. Yeah, you don't know that. No. Also, Solomon calls Justin Bieber Justin Femer. So love that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, well, extra fun facts for you there at the end of this. Join episode. us next time. Can I tell? Can I tell them what I want to do next time? Yeah. I told you yesterday, didn't I, or the day before? I don't remember. I'm um, a frog. I think we should do the circus. Yeah, because apparently I read an article that the circus is coming back, but they're coming back with all the animals. We I don't love know. It's the summer. People go people do people caring about animal. People right. go do fun things in the summer. Maybe they go to the circus. Mm-hmm. I thought we could do the circus episode. We could. We need to stop telling them what we're doing next, though. I know. We'll leave we a little leave mystery. We'll, we'll give you some mystery next time. All right, we're gonna eat some more frogs and be safe out there. And don't, uh, I don't know, don't get in car with strangers, don't, what's a, what's a good takeaway from this episode? Don't, I think uh, to be understanding of, or at least accept that you don't understand someone else's culture. Right. Because a lot of this, a lot of the voodoo has been misunderstood historically. And back to that whole, what you said, like, we don't, we fear what we don't understand. That, mm-hmm. That was way deeper than I was going to go, and so I appreciate I, you for that. I, I was so going to say, like, don't make Baron's ham any dull rum. There you go. That's also mm-hmm. a good lesson. Yep. And on that note, see you uh, next hey, time. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye.